I want to begin with just a moment of thoughtful reflection. I am. How would you finish the, that beginning to a sentence? I am. Specifically, if I ask you to describe yourself. And let's say I ask you to describe yourself in seven terms or less. How would you go about describing yourself to someone who didn't know you? You want to capture the essence of who you are. You want them to know you based on these seven things, even though they've never met you before, never met you in person. But if they know these seven things about you, you feel confident that they would have a good grasp of who you are as a person. I am blank. What would you come up with? I am saved. That's awfully important. I wasn't really asking for answers, but I'm not going to turn them down. You know, that's, that's where we are in here, right? Think about that. We're talking about the essence of who we are. Well, that eliminates a lot of things. But a lot of things should come to mind as well, right? Maybe it would be your name. I am Reagan Allen McClenny. Uh, maybe it's pretentious to include my middle name, and yet that tells you something about me. I'm named after my uncle. That's part of my identity. That's uh, how I view myself. Um, and so my first name, my middle name, my last name, you're on your way to knowing something about me. Uh, you might could even infer around when I was born based on my first name. You could learn something about my heritage, perhaps, from my last name, Matt Clinney, right? And so my name might be one of the things that I give you. What about a role that you play? Um, who you are as maybe I am a father or I am a husband. Maybe that's what you would say. Maybe uh, you would have a description of yourself. Uh, I am a man. I'm six foot tall. I have brown hair, blue eyes. That's who I am. Maybe your occupation uh, would be part of what you say if you were limited to those seven things. I am uh, a preacher. I am a doctor. I am the owner of a fast food business, whatever the case might be, right? So that's part of who you are, part of your identity. Uh, maybe it's your nationality. I am... A Texan. I mean, I am an American, right? Maybe it's uh, your defining identity. That's what David said, right? I am saved. I am a Christian. Now, all of those things would be true about you or about me. And any of those would help to, to get to know me or get to know you better. And in fact, any truthful answer that we put on there... Uh, whether it's part of our core identity or not, would, would go a little way into knowing us better. Um, but for this to work, you have to add to it, right? I am, and then there's a blank after it. There's something that you have to add. And yet God does not have to add to it. In fact, we learn a lot about God just from those two words, only three letters, I am. If you have your Bible with you, would you open it up to Exodus chapter 3? Exodus chapter 3. We just studied this on Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago. Exodus chapter 3. And we'll look in verses 13 through 15. 
Exodus chapter 3, 13 through 15. Now this is primarily talking about God the Father, but this term, this name that is going to be used, is not used exclusively just for God the Father, and that's really the point of our class this quarter, as we consider Jesus the I Am in October and November and December on Wednesday nights. But that brings us to Exodus chapter 3. We remember the occasion, again, studied it just a couple of weeks ago, with Moses and the burning bush. And God calls him, calls him to be who it is that he was supposed to be from birth, and he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses starts to have some excuses about why that's not a good idea or why he's not the right person for the job. His first excuse is, well, who am I? And then his second excuse is, well, who are you? So we begin reading in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God, Yahweh God, and, and Yahweh as we think about that name for God, it's certainly not the only name for God, but it is a, a personal name. And Yahweh comes from that idea of I am. So the Lord God, Yahweh God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. God says, I am who I am. So tell them that I am has sent you. Uh, the verb seems to stress being. Therefore, God is the eternally existent one. Much like the phrase, the one who is and who was and who is to come. The I am is found here in Exodus 3, but in Revelation 1, 2, 4, and 22, that's used of Jesus, the one who is and who was and who is to come. It is not I was has sent you. It's not I will be has sent you. I am has sent you. We see the one who has always existed, exists now, and always will exist. But in Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the one who always has been and always will be and is now, is referring to Jesus Christ. That first and the last is an echo of how God is described in Isaiah 41, but it's not just that God has always existed, but it is through Him that all things exist. He is the living one on whom all other living beings and living things are dependent. Turn to Acts chapter 17, if you would. The Apostle Paul finds himself in Athens. And in order to try and make a connection with these people who have many gods, he runs across an, an altar that has an, an inscription to the unknown god. 
And Paul says, the one whom you worship without knowing, that's the one that I come to proclaim to you. And this is how he describes that God in verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life and breath and all things. And He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our very being. As also some of your own prophets have said, for we are His offspring. It is through God, not just that He has existed, but all things that do exist are tied into Him. He is the one who sees to it that everything He has created continues to exist. Through Him we live and move and have our very being. And this is who Jesus claims to be in the Gospel of John. Turn to John chapter 8, if you would. And this is where we'll really begin our study. John chapter 8, Jesus is defending himself to the Pharisees, and he says in verse 18 of John 8, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And they said to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. We drop down to verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and I will die, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, maybe your translation says I am he, but you notice that that he is in italics, it's added by the translators. He says, unless, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father, that is, the Father in heaven. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And he spoke these words, and many believed on him. Now drop down to verse 48, if you would. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? 
This is who they viewed Jesus as, right? You are a Samaritan. You have a demon. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Well, that strikes at the very heart of what we're studying this quarter, right? Who is it that Jesus makes himself out to be? Who does he say that he is? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say, He is your God. Yet you have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I say, I do not know Him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? What's the, what's the answer to that question? Head this way, head that way. Yeah. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, so that they passed. By. They took up stones to stone him. Uh, stoning someone was... What, what did that lead to? What kind of punishment was this? Yeah, kill him, right? They're, they're looking to kill him here. This is, a, this is a capital offense that they feel that Jesus has, has done. And stoning was a specific type of execution for a certain kind of crime. For capital crimes under the law of Moses, you were supposed to be stoned. Now, there were some slight exceptions to that, but for our purposes this evening, let's just look back through the old law and see why you might stone someone. If they committed murder, an eye for will be killed in that same way, often by stoning. Idolatry, well, that could be punished by stoning. Approaching near to Mount Sinai while the presence of God was there. Occult practices and soothsaying. We could add several sexual sins to this list, although the text in Leviticus is not as explicit as it is with these sins. And then blaspheming the name of the Lord could also be punished in this way. Which of these crimes were they accusing Jesus of in taking up stones to stone him? Blasphemy, right? Verse 58 is explicit in its use of I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, a number of months ago, we had a, a guy called the building, and, and I had several conversations um, with this guy. Uh, conversation is a loose term because generally both people have to speak for it to be a conversation. I would say that I did a lot of listening um, over the course of several uh, phone calls. Uh, and this was one of his big things, was that Jesus never claimed to be deity, he never claimed to be God, uh, that sort of thing. And so this is one of the passages at which we looked, 
Uh, and we looked at these I am statements in, in the Gospel of John. And, and his contention was Jesus was just saying, I am he. Uh, I'm the Messiah, I'm a prophet, those sorts of things. But he was never saying, I am. And maybe you could make that argument earlier in the chapter or in other places in the book of John, but not here. I am he, I am he whom? Um, well, I think it goes back to verse 54. Whom you say, he is your God. I am your God. I am Yahweh. I am the I am that you know from Exodus and Isaiah and the Old Testament, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what we see is that Jesus makes this claim of himself. He makes this, this claim in a generic sense. Uh, we'll go through these here in just a moment. Uh, this handout is sevens in the Gospel of John. Uh, this would have been made a really nice class, and originally I put this together to go through all of these. But then I came to my senses and I said, Reagan, you've got a quarter. Uh, and so instead of covering all of these sevens, if you'll go over to the back page, uh, we're going to cover the I am statements. And specifically those metaphorical I am statements where Jesus describes himself in seven different ways. But before he does that, we see a lot of sevens in this book. Um, I'm not claiming that these are all the sevens in John. Uh, I'm suspicious that there are at least two more because I've got five sevens here and it just makes sense that there would be seven sevens. But we see that there are seven names or titles of Jesus in the first chapter where Jesus is introduced in terms of being God. He is called the Word and the Lamb of God, the Son of God or Son of Man. He's a rabbi, the Christ or Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and He's the King of Israel. He's introduced in these terms. And then Jesus works seven signs or seven miracles that, that proves that he is what these titles for him were in the first chapter. That he is, in fact, God in the flesh. That he is the Son of God. Uh, he's the Creator. He's the one who can recreate those who have been corrupted by sin. And generally, these seven signs or seven miracles come before the I am statement. So Jesus proves who he is before he actually goes through the process of claiming and describing who he is. And so then what we find are seven direct I am statements of Jesus. Uh, this is where Jesus claims that he is God, and then he's going to explain what that means as he goes through those metaphorical statements as well. But this would have resonated. Uh, it resonates with us as Christians in in the 21st century, uh, but it would have resonated with the, the Gentiles as they went through and saw all of these things. But John is a universal gospel. It would have resonated with the Jews as well because John makes some connections to Moses and the old law to show that Jesus is this God. We think about connections with the gospel of John and, and our Sunday morning study in Exodus through Deuteronomy. Um, it worked out perfectly that this is what we're studying on Sunday mornings, that this is what we could study on, on Wednesday nights. 
Because this gospel, the gospel of John, while it doesn't have as many connections to the Old Testament in general as, say, the gospel of Matthew, it has some very specific connections to this section of the Old Testament, Exodus through the book of Deuteronomy. Um, let's go through some of these just, just rather quickly. First, I want you to go to chapter 1, John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Dwelt right there. There are several words translated dwell or dwelt or even dwelling place in the New Testament. And of all the Greek words that we might translate as dwell or dwelt or dwelling place, this is the most rare of all of those words. And he tabernacled among us. Um, Stephanie's brother, Rob, uh, is a big outdoorsman. Um, and he's been staying in tents since he was a little boy. You know, it started in the backyard. I think he slept in a tent most of one summer. Uh, I tabernacle in the backyard again tonight. It's a specific word for dwelling or camping that is specific to a tent. Now, why would that have made a difference. Why use this word? Uh, I've talked the whole class. Why use that word? Of all the Greek words for dwelt that John could have used, why use that one? I'm sorry? Yeah, so it's a really cool image, isn't it? That God is Jesus is the I Am. So He existed before He came in human form. He exists after He came in human form. And He put on this tent, right? In fact, uh, we see the Apostle Paul describes our body as a tent that houses our spirit. Okay? Is that all? So we see His eternal nature implied by that idea of dwelling in a tent, a temporary dwelling. What else? Okay, so the people of Israel, they dwelt in tents, and so that connects us back to this period, right? Exodus through Deuteronomy, when they're in the wilderness, they come out of Egypt, and before they go into the promised land. In fact, they had a whole feast that commemorated that time, the Feast of Booths, or Feast of Tabernacles, that commemorated, hey, we were people who dwelt in tents also. But it wasn't just that they dwelt in tents as they were wandering in the wilderness. Who else dwelt in a tent? They built one for God. In fact, we're going to spend a whole class on that. Um, I'm teaching in the junior high class, but, but in here you're going to spend a whole class on that with uh, the tabernacle that they built so that God could come and dwell with his people. Well, Jesus comes and he dwells with his people. And John is, is saying, hey, you remember that tabernacle from the old law? Jesus is the fulfillment of that tabernacle, of God coming and dwelling with His people. And He's the fulfillment of the temple that goes with it. And the point is not merely for God to come down and dwell with men, but for a way to be made for man to ascend and dwell with God. And so, here from the very beginning, He's making that connection to this section. Where God identifies Himself as the I Am, 
And then he leads his people out of bondage uh, into the blessings of the promised land. That's not it, right? How does John the Baptist refer to Jesus in verse 29? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now what connection can we make to Exodus through Deuteronomy there? Alright, so let's go through our books. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So in those four books, what connections do we have to behold the Lamb of God? The whole system of sacrifices, right? What else? Where else was a lamb involved? The Passover. And the lamb that was slain and then eaten there, right? Um, and we see that there are further connections. Uh, John is specific uh, three different times to talk about how Jesus is doing and saying these things on the Sabbath day as Lord of the Sabbath. We see uh, there are a couple of times where he is specific that this was during the Feast of Passover, that these things were taking place. And then he has a long section. Um, in fact, let's go to John chapter 7 in uh, verse 2. John chapter 7 in verse 2. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. And if we go all the way down to chapter 10 and uh, verse 40, this is where that section comes to an end. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. So from the beginning of chapter 7 through the end of chapter 2, this is all taking place during the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, so keep this in mind, you got... 5, 7, 9, 6, 13, 7 through 10. Well, we think about these I am... Hello. We think about these I am statements that Jesus makes. Well, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6, where we see this is during the feast of Passover, where they're eating bread and eating the lamb and thinking about those things. And no doubt that, that thinks they think about manna that, Jesus, that God provided in the wilderness. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what was it that they had asked him for? They said, give us a sign. And we've got an idea of what a good sign would be. Remember what they asked for? Well, let's turn over there. John chapter 6. Verse 30, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? For example, here's just, just an idea, just throwing this out here. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says, Oh yeah, I can do that. I'm not going to give you any physical bread. But God's going to give you bread from heaven to eat. I am the bread of life. But it's not just that one. Uh, if we look, I am the light of the world in John 8, and he says it again in John 9. That's right in this 
section of the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Tabernacles, and this idea that I am the light of the world, that you need to follow me and you need to look to me and I'm the, way that's, I'm the one that's going to guide you in the path that you should go. Well, if you connect that to the time uh, in the wilderness, how did they know where to go when it was night? Pillar of cloud during the day, pillar of fire at night, light that guided their way. Um, and we could make more connections than that, I suppose. Uh, we think about, he talks about himself as a shepherd that leads the sheep. And this impacts our understanding of these accounts, and, and it makes it a good time for us to study this since it's going to be fresh on our mind. That's five minutes early. Good grief. No, it really is five minutes early. Um, that's going to be on our mind from studying it on Sunday mornings. Uh, and so John makes that connection for us, that this is who I am. Okay, um, let's look quickly at the direct I am statements. And some of these are obscured by our English translations. Oh, all of that to say, I, I better make the point, right, if I went through all of that. All of that to say, it makes all the sense in the world that Jesus would identify himself in this way. Remember that God from Exodus who introduced himself, the God that you supposedly serve? I am. I am he. Okay? But then he, he says this in some direct ways. Um, let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 26, just a page or so back in your Bible. Uh, this is the occasion where Jesus, uh, and the occasion for all of these is on your handout. This is the occasion where Jesus is answering that Samaritan woman's comment. She says, well, I know the Messiah is coming, and you know, he's going to make all things right. He's going to explain all these things. Everything's going to be good. And, and what does Jesus say to her? Um, in English, Jesus said to her, uh, I who speak to you am he. Uh, is that what most of your translations say? I who speak to you am he? You say, nice try, preacher. Doesn't quite say I am. Well, um, I'm not a big, like, let's run to the Greek kind of guy. But, if you look in the Greek, the phrase for I am is ego emi. Ego emi. And so if you look at it in the Greek, Jesus said to her, I am who speaks to you. Jesus said to her, I am who speaks to you. Jesus said, I am. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. He says, I am. That's not all if we go on to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 20 says, But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. This is when Jesus comes walking on the water. And we remember that Job, in the book that bears his name, Job says that God is the one who walks upon the waters. And here Jesus comes walking on the waters, and they're afraid, and they cry out, and they think it's a ghost. And he says, to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, what do you think that phrase translated, it is I, is in the Greek? Ego in me, I am. He says, literally, I am. Do not be afraid. 
Again, the translators are helping us out because if it just said, I am, do not be afraid, that's not proper English. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But looking at it from a the, uh, theological perspective, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, we keep going on. We see uh, John chapter 8 and verse 24. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. We read that a second ago. We also read verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. We also read verse 58 from the 8th chapter, Before Abraham was, I am. At the washing of the disciples' feet, in predicting Judas' betrayal, turn to John chapter 13 and verse 19. John chapter 13 and verse 19. Now I tell you, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. Am. Again, translators help you out. I am he, but that's that phrase, ego me, again. And then we see finally in John chapter 18 and verse 5, at his arrest, when he is asked by that mob, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, he says, I am. So turn there, John chapter 18. Uh, we're about out of time this evening. Uh, but in John chapter 18, we see the power of of this statement. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons, a lynch mob. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. And when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you, I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Um, our theme, our theme for this quarter is, Whom do you seek? Seeking to know, hear, and imitate Jesus. Um, who is it that we're seeking to know and hear and imitate? It is the I am. And so let us study these I am statements together that we might know who he really is. Because that's where that has to start. If we're going to truly hear him, if we're going to truly imitate and follow him, we have to know who he is. And so I, I encourage you to read John chapter 6 for next time. And we'll begin with I am the bread of life. Thank you for your good attention.